Hello, everyone, and welcome to a the weekly daily podcast. Uh, I am your host, uh, Necronominoms or Chris. I'm Beck. Hi, Beck. <laughs> Hi, Chris. All right. Uh, well, this is our first time doing this podcast, so I think I'd like to uh, first of all start off with some introductions for us. Uh, some people might not know who we are. I'll uh, go ahead and start real quick. My name is uh, Chris. I am a house husband by trade, I guess. I uh, mostly just handle like uh, all the cooking and cleaning. My wife uh, is a web developer, so she uh, brings home the bacon and I cook it, basically. Uh, we live with our uh, little sister, who's about uh, her. She's a teenager right now, so uh, that's fine. That's pretty much what I do. Some of my favorite uh, video games include... Uh, the uh, Warcraft series, uh, games like uh, Transistor, um, other narrative-based games, stuff like Bioshock is really fun. What about you, Beck? Oh, uh, by trade, I am an illustrator. I draw books for publishing companies. I live with my fiance and our many, uh, many cats, two cats and some other pets. Um, some of my favorite games would be more like RPG creature collectors. So think like Pokemon, uh, Shin Megami Tensei games, Persona games, even Digimon. Yeah, I keep it broad like that. All right. Well, uh, we have a lot to talk about, so uh, I just want to real quick just uh, go through uh, how... Uh, just check in with you. How are you doing? Uh, you playing anything fun in the past week or so? Yeah, I've been trying to actually, speaking of creature collectors, I've been playing Pokemon, uh, specifically Pearl, the remake, which has been okay. I haven't gotten super far. I only play, play like an hour a day, but I've been really enjoying it. What about you, Chris? I've been doing all right uh, past week. It's been a little uh, crazy. We're uh, doing this thing where we're starting a podcast, actually. I don't know if you're uh, in the loop about that one. I'm very new to it. I don't even know about this. Okay, well, it's called the Weekly Daily. Um, it is a gaming news podcast. Uh, oh, the week yeah, it's called the Weekly Daily. What made you settle on that name? Oh, well, you see, now, here's the thing. If you look at a lot of news networks and whatnot, they either have weekly or daily in their name. But it's also interesting because commonly in video games, this is kind of like technical gamer stuff, but, like, there's these objectives or quests called dailies where you repeat them uh daily and uh so that's where we got that name from it's a great idea thanks um <laughs> jokes aside uh i've been uh uh all right uh, as far as video games i've been actually playing uh bloodstained uh ritual of the night that uh castlevania uh spiritual successor type game from uh, one of the creators of uh, Castlevania. It was. Yeah, it's, uh, on, it's like the main creator who did it. He just didn't have the rights to like normal Castlevania anymore. Right. Yeah. Uh, I've been playing that, um, hitting that point in that game where I hit in most of those games where I've just like explored what I feel like is all of the map and I uh, just like get lost after that and I'm like, where do I go next? Uh, happens to me every time in any Metroidvania game. Uh, and yeah. I end up just not finishing it because of that. <laughs> I feel like that happens, and that can definitely turn people off of those games, for sure. That main, like, 
because it's a metroidvania they want you to do like oh you got like this new skill maybe you can double jump to somewhere or something like that so it wants you to backtrack right yeah and that's one of those points where i'm just like wait where do i go though um but yeah uh it's been pretty fun um all right well uh we got that out of the way so we should probably get into the news for the week uh particularly the game awards uh, uh, it's just a small thing, little tiny just, thing. Yeah, just a just a little thing. It was a uh, kind of a blip on other people's radars, but we uh, wanted to like go in depth and uh, really talk about it. Uh, I didn't see much about it, you know, outside of I, like about either. a thousand articles that just popped up on my feed. Um, We're so, just gonna be reiterating what those articles say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty much this entire uh, podcast. Just gonna be kind of regurgitating. Uh, all the article names and that's pretty much it uh sorry if you expected more from us uh we'll see you later yep <laughs> um put my list of uh, clickbait titles here 10 game awards that shouldn't have been awards <laughs> uh, absolutely and 10 that should have been <laughs> oh god okay well uh so we're gonna go ahead and start at the beginning i guess uh we had the uh, opening to the game awards started out with the performance by sting uh he uh performed the song what could have been from arcane uh it was, it was a pretty good performance it was fine you know the song was it was a great song uh anyone who's seen that uh show it was a pretty good song and you kind of expected arcane to show up in this um award show since arcane's kind of just showing up everywhere anyways oh absolutely <laughs> like even people who like don't even know what arcane is for like it, which is hard because it, i'm pretty sure it says league of legends in the title it does it does okay it does like, so like it makes sense for them to sing a song from a such a big uh video game animation right um so after that it opened with a um a word from the host uh the host jeff Kaylee. uh i won't get too far into what he said but he basically uh gave out a little uh monologue there uh referencing some of the issues that hit this year uh didn't go too into detail uh it started out with uh Game creators need to be supported by the companies that employ them. That's a direct quote from him. Uh, continues, we should not and will not tolerate any abuse, harassment, and predatory practices by anyone, including our online communities. Yeah, uh, and that's like is that that's like touching on like people being overworked at their job places, right? It's touching on kind of a lot of things, which is part of the reason that like this is a great statement to start out with. Uh, you know, it's good baseline like it, this isn't like trying to like bite the hand that feeds you or like say that like oh they didn't go uh far enough or like oh they shouldn't have done it at all uh but they it feels like in those two sentences they mash together so much that's like going on in the industry right now so the first statement seemed to be kind of in response to what i would assume is like a lot of the stuff mainly with activision blizzard that's going on you have um uh, i mean there's so much to talk about with that but in a nutshell just with all the harassment that's going on in that uh workspace uh culminating in all the walkouts that have been happening the protests uh the strikes from the developers themselves 
there's been a lot of news about uh, them trying to unionize and the anti-unionization efforts coming from uh, the uh, executives themselves trying to keep that tamped down. Um, you've got a lot of uh, that going on. Then the second sentence uh, refers to uh, abuse, harassment, and predatory practices by anyone, including our online communities. So not only is that in reference to companies like Activision Blizzard or other companies that have been facing these uh, harassment lawsuits, um, but it's also in reference to some of the harassment that's going on online in our communities. One of the biggest uh, examples was from uh, Twitch this year. Uh, earlier this year, um, they had uh, something that they tried to do where they put out uh, some tags that you could apply to your streams. This uh, included stuff like, you know, LGBTQ, um, you know, person of color, uh, stuff like that. Um, unfortunately, what this also meant was it gave people an easier time targeting those communities. Um, and so it led to an uptick in harassment. That's something that, you know, I think as gamers, we understand this is something that's like always been there. Uh, but it. It certainly, right, it, it certainly uh, saw like a bit of an uptick uh, this year, and that was one of the notable moments for it. So I think that's kind of what it was in reference to. Obviously, it didn't really go too in-depth. Um, there was call to actions. They said, speak out online. Uh, he said, quote, speak out online, vote with your time and with your dollars. Uh, empower these world builders who are creating the future of all entertainment. So... You know, it's it's good. It's good that he said that. It's good that the Game Awards put that out there. Uh, That's a great statement, yeah. I can't it, argue against that. Uh, going on to um, the actual awards. The um, actual video games. We're going to talk about the video games. Right. So in this gaming podcast, we are now going to talk about video games. So we're going to go ahead and try to kind of rapid fire go through these. Uh, I want to stop on some of the ones that we are kind of interested in talking about. So I'm going to go ahead and just start listing some of these off. Uh, our uh, first one is Best Independent Game, and that is uh, Kena Bridge of Spirits. I do know that we want to talk about this later, so we're not going to get too into it right now. So we're going to move on to the next one. We have uh, Best Performance. Uh, Maggie Robertson as Lady Dimitrescu in Resident Evil Village. I think that was pretty well-deserved. Uh, had a... well, why, why do you think it's like well-deserved compared to like some of the other like nominees? It, I mean, it's a difficult choice, and they were all pretty strong nominees. Uh, you had like uh, uh, Giancarlo Esposito... He played Anton Castillo in Far Cry 6. He is an amazing uh, voice actor and actor. Uh, and, you know, Ubisoft put just so much weight behind him. Just every single ad you saw for that game was just his face. And that was yeah, it. I, I would be confident that, like, he was the main character by the amount of advertising. But as far as like, <laughs> Far Cry games go, they always seem to put a big emphasis on the bad guy. So which is smart it's different right right um and then uh the other one that i would consider a strong contender is erica mori as alex chen from life is strange 
true colors uh you know that's also a very dramatic role and it's a narrative game so you'd think you know that's a pretty good uh fit for that award uh that being said uh maggie robertson lady dimitrescu was a very important character uh in a lot of ways for resident evil village uh especially i mean that was the character that uh you know got people hooked on resident evil village you know when she came out everyone on the internet got collectively sent to horny jail immediately there oh, was for like sure. <laughs> for sure. it just seemed like it's like oh a new resident evil game like you get the stereotypical people who were like already into resident evil just being like yeah new game and then they showed her and she's just like what seven foot tall mommy and yeah just mommy dommy just... vampire yeah yes. and like they got such a large audience strictly because of her yeah, I think she was a draw-in for a lot of people. It was definitely uh, a game that turned out being pretty good on its own merits, but like she was a large part of it. I think she commanded the role very well, and um, it really dragged people in, which is what you want from a, a person in that situation, someone doing the voice acting for a character. You want someone that can hook people. Well, for sure, and I think it caused some people to get like a different uh idea of what the the game was going to be as far as main villain goes because she's not even the main villain she's just the main bad guy for the first fourth of the game i want to say yeah right so for someone to just have such a commanding role to like pull people in and then only be in the fourth of the game is pretty crazy exactly all right, uh, so moving on we've got uh best action game uh best action game was won by returnal we have uh, Best Art Direction. Best Art Direction was won by Deathloop. Okay. And I wanted to talk about uh, Deathloop and why it won Best Art Direction. Like, I could mention some of the, the nominees, too. One of them being K- Kana, but we'll talk about that later. The other ones being Psychonauts 2, Ratchet and Clank, Rift Apart, and Artful Escape, which they have their own merits of why they could have been great games, but... We'll just talk about the winner. <laughs> okay, what? Uh, uh, what's up with that? So, playing with Deathloop is it is a first-person shooter with some like roguelike elements, and the main goal is to assassinate eight targets by the end of a day, which doesn't sound too crazy, right? Yeah, so, I mean that almost sounds like a short game to me. It does sound fairly short. The idea, though, is that these targets are in moving locations. you got to do it very effectively. It's, I believe it's almost nearly impossible to do it on your first try. It, they, their push for the, like, the roguelike or roguelite elements is that you're going to try, die, and repeat over and over. So you would say yeah. it's like a Souls-like. <laughs> oh, yes, it's a Souls-like. No, it's not like a Souls-like. <laughs> But everything's a Souls-like. Um, everything's a Souls-like, because it's hard. Yeah. Uh, and, like, how you progress in the game, you you, you have the normal, like, uh, progression elements that you'd have in a, in a roguelike, where you're like, oh, you might gain some new, like, equipment that stays throughout your runs, like maybe upgrading a weapon or some abilities. But the main form of progression is by learning information. And the information can be as much as just... Uh, being like, oh, one of these targets likes to do this at this time, or even be that this is where the target will be through, like, um, I guess, mapping 
or or um, routing. Okay. And while you're while you're gathering this information through, it's it's pretty much notes and like little computers and stuff. Um, you're also learning about the main character's background. The main character is Holt, and he is on this island, and he does not know why. He's just there, and he's an assassin. That's all you know. Now, the reason that I think why it like like art wise why it won like I haven't really explained any like art reasons. Okay. Right? Uh, it's the stylization. It has like this like smooth flat colors, kind of clay like. I don't know. If, have you played Dishonored at all? I have. Yeah. Yeah. This is this. They this company all also made Dishonored, and it's it was kind of like stylized. It's not super realistic, but it, it's it's um it's got its own style. Uh, this one is more seventies aesthetic, so kind of groovy. If you're thinking in Austin Powers, kind of maybe. Yeah, I got um, a bit of that from the trailers I saw for it. Yeah, but I don't think it really won strictly because of that. I think it won because of how the map is. Now, what's unique about the map is that the whole thing is a playground, and just think like, oh, there's a big building, and it's like, okay, there's a building. I'm going to kill people who are around it. Well, you can scale that building. You can even be on top of it, be below it, go through it, and people will be in different locations at different times. And how you your approach to killing these targets is really what pushed it forward. I, I at least I think that's what it is, and that's part of the direction of it. The whole map is part of the art direction. Um, and how you like scale around. Um, they actually took some things from Dishonored, like the it's what is it? it it's like a like a teleport if you remember that ability i don't remember what it's called i don't remember what it was called i either but i do remember that yeah you have this teleport and I, you always have that ability i think or you might gain it at, at some point and just being able to move around with that was like one approach but you also have you, you always have a machete and you always have a, a thing called a hackamajig and it's for like <laughs> distance hacking so like you can even open doors and like control turrets which is really cool so yeah that, that's my main reason why i think it won strictly because of art direction is just different approaches to how you take down your targets throughout this giant playground of a map and on what builds upon that is also whenever you go to to go into the map you go at four different times so through your information that you gathered you can say oh this target is best to be taken down during the morning and the map, the whole map, will have different effects based on that time. Say, like, you go to it and there's a person on the lake that you want to take out. Uh, it's just a normal, the lake is just there. It's just normal. Maybe the target's just roaming at the top of the tower. But let's say if you try to go to the lake at night, it's actually snowing. So the whole lake is frozen over. Okay. Which changes how you want to progress through it. Maybe it's easier to get across that lake at night than it is during the day. Stuff like that. That's why I believe it won. Okay, no, that's uh, that's pretty cool. I mean, you know, art direction is like an interesting category because it's not just about, you know, does it look pretty? It's about mm -hmm. what does it serve functionally for the game? Are, yeah. are you getting these subtle visual cues that tell you I can pick this up? I can do something with this uh, or even to some extent, like, does this somehow subconsciously indicate that a person's coming through here or that like uh that this uh wall is going to be important later to story or just any sort of object like that uh yeah I've, 
that it's stuff like that. You know, I'm not really uh, an artistically inclined person, person like especially like visually. Uh, but like that's always something that I've thought was so interesting is the the subtle cues and the subtle you know like even just a sh- particular shade of coloring can like influence how your mind looks at something. Oh, for sure. Yeah, some of the enemies can just be like just normal dudes, but also have just like a bucket of paint on their heads, just like pink and this like flare pink and these amongst some, like a bland like landscape, like a snow covered map. It's kind of, it kind of like sticks out. Like if you want to just go with like a normal color approach like that. Okay. Uh, one last thing I'd like to say is like some people might think that's kind of, the, the game sounds like once you gather all the information, it can be pretty easy, right? Right. Uh, they, they throw a wrench in the loop. Uh, one of the assassination car- targets, the, which is the antagonist, which is Juliana, uh, she's a constantly moving target, and you never really truly know where she is. Right. And she has very similar abilities to you. She can teleport, she can like cloak herself, and she could kill you at any time, which is pretty crazy. And she also leads into PvP, which is actually very similar to Dark Souls, so therefore it is a Souls-like... Uh, other players can control her instead of just an NPC. And I think that's really interesting, and it's just extra. Like, I didn't even think that was really a necessary thing, but it's there. <laughs> okay. That, 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 is, uh, that is really interesting. Um, I do want to move on. It's good to get all that information about Deathloop, because it does come up later uh, yeah, it in won other a, ways. Did it win a few times? Uh, I don't know if it won again, but uh, it is uh, some. It is nominated often in this. Uh, yeah, it comes up. It, it, yeah, even for the acting of those two, the main characters, Colt and Juliana, are even in the best performance like nominees. Uh, yeah, the game pops up quite a few times. Okay. All right. Uh, so let's go ahead and move on now. Uh, we're gonna go to the next one here so okay next up uh we have the best narrative award uh best narrative award was won by marvel's guardians of the galaxy um don't have much to say about that i didn't really play that game but uh i, I didn't do play it either but it, it is guardians of the galaxy so right imagine it's pretty funny yeah that's fair uh, we have the next one, uh, Best Action Adventure Game. That was won by Metroid Dread. Uh, seems like a pretty good fit for that category. Uh, another, then we, another Metroidvania. <laughs> another Metroidvania that I will probably never be able to finish. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, best Ongoing Game. Winner was Final Fantasy XIV. Uh, you know I was excited about that. Um don't know yeah. why I stand that game so hard, but I do. Um, it's, it's only getting better with time. And I believe it's like the number one MMO you can play right now. So it, it truly makes sense. Uh, it was um, also won the best community support, which, yeah. Um, yes. Final sure. Fantasy fourteen has hands down the best community I've ever seen in a video game, so that makes sense. Um, yeah, with, with like playing WoW and just going into like a random dungeon and people just being like, they just go. In Final Fantasy, that every party member will hold your hand and ask you about your day. It's amazing. They will teach you how to play the game and also give you like a free therapy session if you're just like having any problems. They will be there for you. Yeah, they're they're just great. 
next uh, up, I actually like this category. It was innovation and accessibility. Um, I'm, I love having that category. I think that's a very important part of games uh, that kind of gets overlooked by some developers, especially if they're, uh, you know, smaller developers that don't have the time or the ability or the knowledge. Uh, it can be difficult to get that in games. Uh, the winner for that was Forza Horizon 5. Uh, the reason they got that was uh, they had an uh, ASL interpreter, ASL being American Sign Language. Uh, they just full on had the option to just have an uh, interpreter on screen that just interpreted all the dialogue and stuff going on. Uh, that's a really cool addition. Uh, they certainly didn't have to do that, but they did it. No, that's crazy to think of. And like, Forza's a racing game, right? Or a, a car driving game. Just think that we could just have a person throwing out hand hand signs uh, to to like let people who don't like normally play those games play them. I, that's really great. Yeah, I love it. Um, all right. Uh, moving on, uh, the next one is Best Game Direction. Uh, oh, that is another Deathloop one. There we go. There Which you go. I feel they, it won for like the same exact reason. That for like it, they could probably be like swappable game direction, art direction for Deathloop winning. It, it's all about how you approach that map. Right. Uh, sounds like it was well-deserved. Uh, all right, I'm going to swing back in our dock here and go through all the player-voted choices. Uh, player's voice, uh, was the first one. These are all fan voted. That means that, uh, probably some of the people listening here, uh, were also the ones voting on this. Uh, so first one up was the player's voice. I think that's just kind of like the overall game, uh, favored by fans. That was one by Halo Infinite. That doesn't really surprise me. Uh, that game had a lot of hype, you know, uh, it's, it's Halo. Yeah it, yeah, it has nostalgia behind it, and the best part of it being that uh, it was free to play multiplayer. Well, it was. It is free to play the multiplayer. Can't go wrong with free. Yeah. Uh, next up is the best RPG fan voted. Uh, winner was Tales of Arise, uh, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, I thought that was very interesting. This is another section I would like to talk about. I I love RPGs. <laughs> Um, for people who don't know, Tales games are like action RPGs. They always have been. Um, that like it kind of like what what made them stick out was the fact that they weren't like a turn based RPG. Think like Final Fantasy, right? Right. But like nowadays, it's most a lot not most, but like a lot of RPGs are already actiony, right? Right, right, right. Think like Dark Souls. <laughs> yeah, I think like because that's. I mean, at the end of the day, like the action ones always seem to win out over turn based ones uh, as far as like what the fans want, you know, um, they're going to sell more, it feels like. Yeah, it's a broader amount of people who want to just go and smack something with a sword rather than picking the attack. Right. Attack the sword. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Uh, The reason I think it one is actually kind of exactly what we already just said it's just a broad appeal like i don't normally think of tales games doing exceptionally well to be fair like it, it always seemed niche to me so i think it's kind of similar to why, why like a game series like persona did well like persona 5 is that it, it just had this broad appeal because it they executed upon the 
systems that they already had just better. They did it better this time around. And ranging from the story to combat is what they improved upon. Like the story for Tales of Arise was more war and slave focused, strangely enough. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, how how that works is like essentially like another race from another planet planet or dimension like invades into the main like fantasy world. So I think a technological uh, group of people come and invade and kind of enslave the magical people for hundreds of years. And the dynamic they create there is through the two main characters. They're from essentially opposing sides. Uh, the main character, Elfin, he's like a slave. He's a slave man who feels no pain, which is interesting for a main character. <laughs> Very anime-ish to have the main guy to be like so strong that he just doesn't feel pain. <laughs> and the main girl, Shion, I believe, she's from the like bad guy side. And her main niche, I guess, is that like physical touch causes these thorns to sprout from her and hurt people around her. And both of them want to take down these bad guys who are enslaving the good guys. And how they do that is through this flaming sword that they, she pulls out of her chest. Ah, well, yes. <laughs> very the old anime. chest sword. The old chest sword. And um, it's like on fire. So she can't actually touch it. So... What, what do you do if you can't touch the flaming sword? You have this guy who can't feel pain grab the sword. And he they use that to take down the main bad guys. And they even put this, well, incorporate it into, like, gameplay. And that's, like, a unique attack that he can use where he uses the sword, but it actually hurts him. But because he doesn't feel the pain, it's not a problem, but it still reduces his health, which is pretty cool. I mean, that logically makes sense. You're still, like, whenever you hold, like, a flaming sword, even if you don't feel it, it's still burning your hand. Yeah, when I say flaming, I mean even a hill is on fire. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And how they kind of made the combat a little better is they... they It's still the same normal tell stuff, so think, like, a big, like, circle-sized arena. Uh, you're what you as the main player you can control one of four party members but you can swap them out and alternate alternate between them and you chain your combos together through arts arts are your skills and how they really made it better they added this like perfect dodge mechanic which everybody likes that it feels good if you perfectly dodge an attack right 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 and it feels a lot more like a platinum game if you know like platinum games think like near or bayonetta like really nice combat and they just improved upon it like that. Uh, I would say the one downside the game has is that it's no longer multiplayer. Uh, a lot of the previous, I think not a lot, maybe all of the previous ones, you could play couch co-op with a friend. I mean, I guess that's kind of the product of, I don't know, that's kind of odd. Uh, I mean, it is coming out in the age of COVID, but uh, yeah. there is online, so you'd think if they wanted multiplayer they could get it in there somehow but uh i don't know that's kind of an odd choice a very odd choice if you look at what well whenever we get to the game that like the best game of the year uh yeah it's a weird choice yeah for sure <laughs> uh hint hint there yeah. uh we'll go ahead and move on and get to that continue through these fan voted categories our best score in music was near replicant next one after that content creator of the year uh, that went to Dream. Dream is a streamer. Uh, and uh, he won that. Uh, best multiplayer game. Uh, it takes two. Um, 
there you go. That's uh makes sense. That's been good. That got a lot of uh nominations in other categories. Oh, and so uh, many other categories. I think compared to the other games, it was gonna win the best multiplayer game. Uh, yeah. I don't I don't know. It was a uh, tough being now New World there, but uh, they did it. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, so tough to beat on new. <laughs> uh, best mobile game? Uh, that was uh, Genshin Impact. Not a surprise at all, honestly. Yeah. Genshin as a Impact. Who, who plays that off and on? I understand that. Yeah, as a person who has too many five stars on that game, I also understand that. Way too many for a free-to-play player. Yeah. Um. All right. That was all of the. Um, fan voted so we're moving on to the final award which is game of the year uh game of the year was presented by uh, neil Druckmann from uh, naughty dog uh it was also presented by the game awards orchestra game awards orchestra killed it really fun watching the game uh awards orchestra too and that one in particular it's really fun because they're doing this mashup of uh each game's music uh to present each game uh, it's just something I found entertaining. Uh, entertaining. Yeah. Um, anyways, uh, nominees: uh, Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, uh, It Takes Two, Psychonauts Two, Resident Evil Village, Metroid Dread, and Deathloop. I think all of these had just multiple nominations in all the other categories. Yes. Um, they so they were all you know one of these was definitely going to be here. Uh, winner ended up being It Takes Two. Uh, I think this was an interesting choice for some. Uh, mm. I, I I mean, I don't know. What do you think? Well, well, as we said earlier, it's weird for like one game to take out multiplayer, but this one's main focus is split screen cooperative multiplayer. So I think in the time of COVID, it brought people together, maybe even like a husband and wife to like play at the same time. And maybe that's what factored into it winning. Yeah, I mean, I can also see, I mean, that definitely also contributed probably to, you know, how it got so popular. I also, on some level, think that, like, I think a big part of this is going to be, like, innovation in gaming and stuff like that. You have a, a game that, by all accounts, is a pretty fun game. Uh, you know, in the time of COVID, it definitely, like, has brought people together. Uh, it also, uh, I don't know off the top of my head of too many games that follow uh, that uh, same formula that It Takes Two does. It's that kind of thing where it's the like multiplayer co-op dedicated uh, where you need two people and we're, you know, going through solving puzzles. That, that's not to say like there, there are plenty of those games, but none. Uh, there are only a few that jump out as like particularly good. And so I think any game that takes that formula and innovates on it and like just catches you know the world by storm like it did uh i think that's probably one of the reasons that it beat out some of the other heavy hitters i mean you had some strong contenders you had i think in particular like resident evil village and death loop those are both very well received games that uh really uh just everyone was into uh when they came out uh and uh so it was a hard fight i think between all of them but i can kind of understand how it takes to made it right i think it was like a combination of things not along just being not, not along the like just cooperativeness of it and bringing people together like it had a pretty like 
sad story that was also kind of heartwarming. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know if you know about the story, but it's it, it focuses on a married couple who get turned into their their daughter's dolls. Uh, okay. And they have, they have to travel through their property trying to find their daughter as these little tiny dolls and doing a bunch of like platforming, like puzzle solving together. That has yeah. uh, like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids vibes to it. <laughs> yeah, a lot of the stages are just like your their daughter's room or their backyard, stuff like that. And how that how they make it like really uh, interesting is each of the two main characters, which are Cody, the husband, and May, the wife. Uh, they get different powers throughout the game to problem solve. So it's not like you have the same skill sets. You have to problem solve differently. And you have to work together to do it. So, like, for example, like, on one level, like, May might get these boots that allow her to defy gravity. And so she can, like, go up onto the walls and just and stick to them. And then Cody will just be, have the ability to just get bigger and alter his size or get really small. And you just kind of, like, oh, he might be able to lift up a big block or she might be able to walk on the ceiling to get on through, like, a gap or whatever. He might get small and walk through a small gap on the ground. Um, you problem solve that way. And they, they get, like, several abilities each. Okay. Yeah, that sounds pretty fun. Um, uh, I, I mean, yeah, overall, I think I can see how it won. Uh, the uh, person who accepted the award um, uh, from Hazelight Studios, uh, Joseph uh, Perez, I believe was his name, uh, had an interesting uh, acceptance speech. Uh, he said, uh, and I quote, uh, fuck the Oscars, and the Oscars got fucked. Um, yeah. <laughs> that apparently was a reference to an interview that he had uh, back in 2017. He was doing A Way Out. Uh, he, was, he was interviewing uh, for that game, uh, giving some... Uh, gameplay and stuff like that talking about the game during that interview he randomly uh stopped the host uh it was like uh hold up hold up i have something to say uh and then he said uh fuck the oscars <laughs> uh yeah, he said i just does not like the oscars yeah he doesn't like the oscars and i haven't really found any other reason why it seems like his whole thing is just this weird like rivalry thing that he wants to start or something like that, where he's like, games are cooler than movies, I guess. Um, Maybe like where games are more progressive. Yeah. Two sides of it. But I think the Oscars are even getting a little better on that side of things too. Yeah. In the, um, uh, in the interview, whenever he was saying, uh, you know, fuck the Oscars, he also said something along the lines of like, games are interactive. Uh, And so I don't know if that was like a translation thing or like if that was just him saying like the difference between games and movies, uh, because yeah, games are interactive. You literally press a button to make a person do a thing, uh, versus yeah. movies that, uh, you don't do that. Um, you sit and watch for a movie. It's almost like a game is a, an interactive movie, right? A, a video game per se. I don't know. Uh, pretty interesting, but you know, uh, still think the, award was deserved at least so uh you know uh sure fuck the oscars yeah. i guess 
I don't know what to say on that. I don't know. There's really nothing to say other than that's kind of weird, guy. Yeah. So I wanted to uh, circle back. Uh, we're getting towards the end of uh, our podcast here. We've been running for a while here. I wanted to circle back to best indie game because I know we had a lot to say on that. Uh, the best indie, uh, independent game was won by Kana, Bridge of Spirits. Uh, it was nominated alongside... Let's see, I have my notes here. It was nominated alongside uh, 12 Minutes, Death's Door, and Loop Hero, and uh, also Inscription. Um, okay, uh, yeah. Uh, I can explain a little about like what the game game is about, and then yeah, absolutely. Let's hear that. Talk about why the game is a little weird for being in this section. Right. Go ahead. Uh, the studio is an animation studio, by the way. I don't know if we knew that, but the game has really great facial expressions, which is really cool. It almost looks like it could have just the, the game could have just been a movie. A um, lot of people compared it to Pixar, I believe. Um, oh, okay. Just in, in levels of like animation, uh, it was definitely like very good visuals uh, from what I've seen. Yeah, um, the gameplay is it's very action. You think of like a three D Zelda game, so puzzle solving, kind of like a zone based open world. But that's about where the puzzle, like the comparison to Zelda stops. It has a parry and dodge system, a block system. She's got these little spirits that are also known as the rot that they, she can use to like afflict like kind of like a status condition like maybe lock down an enemy and it has really hard boss battles from what i understand okay all right uh that's a good breakdown uh i want to get into why it was an interesting choice for indie games at all in this category uh i noticed something uh whenever he was uh whenever someone came up to take uh the award uh they referenced they said something along the lines of uh i want to thank sony and epic games uh and sometimes uh developers say that just broadly as like a thank you for hosting our game on your platform uh but i looked into it uh kind of an interesting story with kana they uh the um developer in question ember lab they had originally started out as an indie company and they are classified as an indie company. Uh, they also for Kana specifically struck a deal with Sony directly, uh, specifically for, uh, funding and marketing. This, uh, kind of interesting to me because when you think of independent studios, I think, uh, it's kind of a hard line for me on what makes a studio independent. A lot of studios will commonly do something like go through publishers. Publishers afford their developers things like marketing. Sometimes they'll help uh, find uh, extra people to work on certain things that the developer might not have access to. May, uh, you know, extra uh, QA testing, UX, uh, stuff like that. Just whatever the developer doesn't have that they need. Sometimes they might even uh, provide direct funding. Sony Entertainment is not listed as a publisher for the game. The publisher is Ember Lab, uh, officially. Yeah, yeah uh, it, like it, if Sony was the publisher, that would have meant that they weren't an indie game. <laughs> right. Um, little odd. And another reason 
that I feel like this kind of blurs the lines is when you look at what exactly Sony gave. Uh, I mean, funding from a, you know, multi-million dollar corporation like Sony is a big deal when it comes to a studio making a game. That's not to say that Kena uh, wouldn't have been as good as it was without money or saying that the people that worked on it were not as skillful, but it is like, it, it it's odd because if they didn't need the money, they wouldn't have, a, a, you know, needed. Or the way I should put it, I guess, is uh, it's clear that the money had some value to yeah. what they did or else they wouldn't have needed it. It's, it's uh, like what what did they do with the money even? Uh, so there, it's a little unclear. I haven't been able to find too much on exactly what they spent money on, but uh, there are some things here. Uh, they uh, multiple websites. Uh, I'm looking at like Bloomberg and IGN. They both say that uh, the deal was for funding and marketing support. So that tells you that. Uh, on the funding end, I mean, that can cover anything that they need. I mean, that's uh, they, the team expanded after uh, yeah. this deal. They went up to, uh, I think, 15 members for their core team uh, after this deal. Uh, marketing also, marketing is important from the platform that you are going to be releasing on. That's direct support from the platform that people are going to be buying the game on. Isn't that uh, like the same idea as as be having like a a big publisher? Like that's marketing, isn't that what a publisher does? That is what a publisher does, which is why I find it odd. Um, there's also a couple of other things. Mainly, uh, this is something that Bloomberg continues to report later on in this article. Um, they said, "quote Working with one of the big console makers had some nice perks." They were briefed on the PlayStation 5 a year before its announcement and even received early development kits, much to the delight of everyone there. That's, I mean, that's direct help from the console uh, that you're putting it on. That's that's just direct help from the person that's letting you sell the game. And that's kind, I mean, that's like, it's hard because you'd think... Um, you know, like I said, publishers offer all kinds of things for their developers. So can you say that this is really not independent? But at the same time, I don't think most of the other uh, companies involved in making the other games that were nominated got direct uh, early development kits for whatever they're working on. Just to go over the games, uh, 12 minutes, uh, developed by a team uh, with uh, Luis Antonio. He's an uh, ex-rock star and Ubisoft artist. Uh, the core team was like five people uh, that expanded to include some uh, outside uh, people. They had like a mocap studio helping them out because they used actors. They used a publisher, Annapurna Interactive. Uh, Annapurna does a lot of other indie games. What Remains of Edith Finch, Donut County, Outer Worlds, uh, Death's Door was uh, made by a team like that, a core team of two people uh, under Acid Nerve. That was basically two people that worked on the game. They also got outside artists to work on certain things like um, uh, certain design and art uh, jobs that they needed. Uh, that's very common. 
you had Inscription, developed by Daniel Mullins Games. Daniel Mullins Games is a company that is technically comprised of one dude. He did uh, outsource a lot of uh, things, but uh, the core game was uh, his to develop. Uh, Loop Hero, developed by Four Quarters. Uh, Four Quarters is also a small team. Uh, They... uh, got help from Devolver Digital, as did Inscription and Death's Door. Those three games got uh, Devolver Digital. Devolver Digital, very popular among the indie game market. Uh, they worked on Fall Guys, Carrion, and Grease, among others. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, in all these cases, you have these people that did go through a publisher, but they didn't get money directly from, say, if they were on a computer and, like, releasing on Steam. They didn't get, like, Gabe Newell just, like, throwing the m- money. They didn't get, like, uh, you know, just, like, a check from Steam, or they didn't get, like, direct support in that yeah. manner. If any support might have come through any deals made by uh, Devolver Digital, for example. Uh, yeah. There is a difference. Like- our main point here is that like we're not saying Kata isn't an indie game. We're just saying like what's the line? Like what 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 is the line here? Yeah, I mean that is worth mentioning. I think that Kana probably deserved to win this uh category. It looks like a beautiful game. I'm probably gonna buy it at some point. It uh looks like something I wanna play just narratively, visually, and uh uh gameplay wise, just all together just looks like something that I'm interested in. And I know I know for sure that the people that worked on it worked really hard on it. And I'm guessing that they worked a lot before Sony brought them in. In fact, they had to show Sony a demo for Sony to buy in. I am uh, I do think that uh, that is kind of blurring the lines on what makes uh, an indie game an indie game at that point. Yeah, yeah, which is a little upsetting because I feel like those other games like similar to the same studio for Kana, like they started out like really small or they, they were small, but Kana's grew to 15 people where these other studios are like four or less, five or less people. Like the inscription one was just like one guy, right? Yeah, that and, was one guy. Some of these are even just like uh, one or two people that just like worked on a game jam and like, yeah. uh, like later on it grew from there. Yeah. I, I feel inscription should have, maybe one over the other games just because it it was like it's a it's to to get the gist of it it's like hearthstone but a single player game and it breaks the fourth wall a lot okay kind of spooky yeah i think um i don't know if any of the other ones should have won but um it it is it is a hard decision to make in that regard whenever you're talking about like what the developers get from their uh benefactors um yeah uh yeah i don't know it's something to think about um i wonder how this is going to be going forward i mean this isn't the first time that i think a major like uh company has like put money into a smaller company it's just a question of like uh are we gonna have this kind of thing happen more and more where these big companies are gonna put money into indie developers and have them continue to call themselves indie developers. Yeah, I just feel like this category gets a little uh, muddied up whenever they do that, and it almost feels unfair to some of the other people. Right. 
let's go ahead and go towards the end here. Uh, wanted to go over some of the upcoming releases and trailers. Obviously, uh, Game Awards famous for that. Uh, a lot of upcoming uh, stuff in the pipeline. Uh, first thing here, uh, one of the first reveals here was Star Wars. Uh, Star Wars Eclipse specifically. We got a uh, cinematic trailer for uh, a game that is being developed uh, by uh, Quantic Dream. Quantic Dream is uh, the developer behind games like um, uh, Detroit uh, Being Human. They also are behind games like um, uh, Heavy Rain, uh, Beyond Two Souls. All very narrative-based games. Not a whole lot of action going on, which is what yeah. you come to expect from a Star Wars game. Yeah, a lot of Star Wars games are a lot of like lightsabers and blasters and using the Force. This sounds like it's going to be just a narrative game. Just a lot of talking. Yeah, I think interesting to see how that turns out. It might not be everyone's cup of tea, but I mean, there is... A case for narrative games in star wars i mean obviously a lot of those other games have action more action-oriented gameplay to it uh you know you had like a kotor uh and uh you know the old republic uh those are both uh bioware games uh bioware famous for narrative choices uh yeah, yeah a lot I of stuff to work with <laughs> There. I think it'll turn out a lot like Knights of the Old Republic minus the gameplay of it and just take <laughs> like these amazing not minus the gameplay, but like minus the actiony parts and just be more of that great narrative stuff that people enjoy from the Star Star Wars universe. Like you had a lot of choice and options in those games that really uh caused your path to like change from someone else making like a light side or a dark side choice. Stuff like that. Right. This is set in the High Republic era, so that's about 200 years before uh, the movies. Uh, I honestly don't know a whole lot about uh, Star Wars uh, before the movies or, you know, after the movies, I guess. Uh, I'm not super into, like, extended universe stuff. I do play games like uh, The Old Republic, and I enjoy you know, seeing names that I recognize and whatnot, but that's about the extent of my love for Star Wars, uh, especially in the video game universe. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, there is a case for, like I said, there is a case for uh, narrative Star Wars. There's a lot of choices that you can make if you're a Force user um, or just in a world where the Force is real, I guess. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, other games that are looking at being released here uh, or being announced, we have uh, Nightingale. Nightingale, that's a uh, sort of like Victorian slash steampunk-ish survival craft type game. It's an FPS. Uh, has some base building, it looks like. Uh, a lot of monster killing. Really interesting looking monsters, too. I like the aesthetic. It's uh, A lot of the monsters are sort of that, like, uh, old druidic kind of tree monster vibes. Uh, yeah, that tra that trailer had some scary monsters. Uh, it caught me off guard. <laughs> yeah, them some shooting monsters there. Those are the kind of monsters you want to shoot and kill. Um, yeah, the game the gameplay kind of reminded me of like maybe like dungeon defenders where you're like with a group of people putting up some towers and also dealing with the monsters in first person by yourself, not just towers, but like a defense game. Right. 
uh, had a Cuphead uh, DLC Island. DLC stands for Delicious Last Course. Uh, it got a nice little uh, introduction with a uh, sort of uh, barbershop swing style uh, trio of uh, women uh, with some accompaniment. Uh, really, uh, I mean, I liked it. Uh, looks interesting. Anyone who's interested in Cuphead, I'm sure you'll be interested in that. Uh, there were a couple games that I was interested in. Uh, one of them was Metal Hellsinger. Um, really interesting looking game. The premise is kind of basic, but I'm, I'm down for it. It's just, uh, an FPS where, uh, you basically kill things to the beat. It looked like, to me, I would describe it as like, if you had to play Doom, but to the beat of the music, like same vibe. And uh, one of the draws is that they apparently are taking uh, some uh, actual metal singers from actual bands um, and uh, bringing them in for some of the uh, music in it. Looked pretty interesting to me. Uh, that, that game sounds crazy. Shooting monsters to the beat sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm down for it. And like I said, like, I mean, I one of the reasons I love Doom is just you get to the battle and that music starts and all of a sudden you just feel like you just down like three Red Bulls. Yeah, um, you rip and you rip and tear. Rip and yeah, tear. you get that you get that adrenaline. So if they can like bring that adrenaline into like a rhythm style game, that I'm down for it. There was another game, uh Chia. Uh really interesting looking game. Uh I liked the the vibe. It was like a Polynesian set in like a sort of Polynesian like island uh setting uh looks like you have the ability you're a person with the ability to kind of like warg into objects uh so you kind of like just jump into you know like a bird uh or just a lamp uh it looked interesting i liked uh the way the physics seemed to work it was like a lot of like sort of being able to combo stuff it looked like you had one point where the character uh kind of shot themselves into a lamp but that also propelled the lamp and then from there, they like shot out of the lamp into some enemies. And I'm like, that seems kind of cool. Yeah, that that sounds great. And s some of the trailer kind of reminded me of Raft a little bit. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like outside of just the, the ability to jump into enemies or not enemies, but like uh, animals and inanimate objects. It, there was a little bit of that just going along the waters on a raft. Right. Really chill. Uh, was there any games that you were interested in that uh, caught your interest? Well, I think a game we both would be interested in is Elden Ring. Oh, <laughs> uh, let's talk about that. I had that on the docket anyways. Uh, Elden Ring, uh, we got a cinematic trailer for that. Didn't get much gameplay from the Game Awards. We have seen gameplay recently. Yeah, we didn't get gameplay. Like, they, they let a bunch of like YouTubers and content creators play for like an hour or something like that, or the first hour or area of the game. We already knew what the game, what the game's about. It's open world Dark Souls. Not much to say. If you like Dark Souls, you gotta play this game. Yeah, I mean, going off of what you just said, though, uh, I almost feel like, in a way, we didn't need the cinematic trailer yeah. because it just reminded me of Dark Souls. It looked like it was a lore trailer kind of thing where they kind of had someone talking about some lore. And it just reminded me of Dark Souls in the sense that I still don't understand most of the lore in Dark Souls. And I suspect I never will. Just like if I play Elden Ring, I probably won't understand the lore for Elden Ring either. That takes like, a lot of effort to try to piece together the story of those games. Yeah, I don't know what the narrative storytelling of Dark Souls is called, but you essentially just have to look through the lore of items and read and learn on your own and 
put clues, context clues together to just understand, oh, why did why is this boss like this? Well, it might be in an item saying this boss was corrupted in some way or lived this life. and Or why is this structure uh, degrading? Stuff like that. You've you got to like look into the items and put things together. It's kind of interesting, though, because if that's how Elden Ring goes, there is one thing I've never... Uh, it's The story's from George R.R. R. Martin. It's in collaboration with him. Um, he, did the world, he did the world building. So if if that's true and it just turns out to be the same with Elden Ring where you just have to like kind of read the items, it reminds me of something that uh, my wife told me about uh, his books uh, because the way she described it is like it's just too dense. Like he'll just spend like several paragraphs talking about a door, which kind of like fits with Elden Ring if they end up just being like you have to read all the lore on this ring. I yeah. just I just imagine George R. R. Martin just like typing up like an entire book about like each individual item. <laughs> well, well, what's great about that is um, you don't have to read any of that if you don't want to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can just go through and just cut things and die repeatedly. That can just be the whole experience. That is what my experience was with Dark Souls. Uh, so I don't see why you can't do that in Elden Ring. Yeah, I personally love going through the story and just finding stuff out. And then if I can't figure something out, there's a YouTuber for that. <laughs> exactly. Uh, do you have any other games uh, that you were interested in here? or? Uh... Yeah, there was one other one. And it was one that fell off my radar and then came back to my radar. But not immediately. And it was Dokov... Dokov? Oh, Dokov-V. Uh, Dokov-V. Uh, it's... And I said earlier, I love cre I love creature collectors, RPG stuff like Pokemon and stuff. And this is a Korean creature collector. And the trailer didn't immediately remind me that it was that till I was like, oh, I remember seeing this game, and then being like, oh yeah, you collect creatures and stuff, and like you fight alongside your creatures at the same time, and that seems really cool. And the graphics are pretty like. I don't know. I don't want to say stunning, but I don't know what system it's going to be for, but it looks really good. Uh, although the player characters kind of look a little childishly creepy, but that's what it is. Yeah, along that line, uh, the presentation in uh, the Game Awards, uh, it was basically uh, the company behind Doki V giving sort of a thank you to the fans. Uh, and it was through a uh, like K-pop uh like dance routines set in the world of Dokevi. Uh yeah, super that, cringy. Did it, not kinda, like it. it. it yeah. Yeah. It, it, that was the reason why I'm like I didn't immediately remember the game. Like I remember seeing it months earlier or something like that. I can't remember where I first saw this game, but I was just like, ah, oh, this is this is on my radar and then it fell off and then they started like doing the Korean dance stuff and I was like, do I know this game? Do I know what this is? And then I I remembered after it was done uh, yeah yeah nothing in that uh presentation told me what the game was about uh, i definitely had to look for more information afterwards on that uh just had no idea what was going on there um uh but it looks fine i mean you like you said it has really good looking graphics and that kind of signals to me that it can't be on the switch right like i have a lot of problems it, like, with regular 
Yeah, like regular games give me issues on the Switch. I watch my wife play Cozy Grove and it is just a laggy mess and that's a 2D game. So I can't imagine that that game is running well on the Switch if it's on the Switch, even though it seems like it should be a game for the Switch. Yes. <laughs> uh, I can't imagine it running well on there. Something's got to be done to fix that or they just need to like wildly downgrade the graphics in order to make that work if they're going to put it on there. Um even with like the there's there's like a Switch Pro now, right? Yeah, so they have like the different uh switches. I think there's like a Pro, a regular and a Lite now. Yeah, none of those really upgrade the system. Right. So I don't see how like they can have a game like Breath of the Wild which lags whenever it rains. <laughs> or any 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 weather effect lags the game and if you look at doka v that there's no way that's a switch game right yeah i can't imagine but i guess we'll see uh maybe they have some trick up their sleeve for optimizing it i doubt it but um all right well i think we uh covered all everything we wanted to cover with it at least in the time frame that we had uh with the uh, game awards 2021 uh we're gonna go ahead and head out then to our outro uh we will be back next week um uh, we're planning on uh releasing this every wednesday and uh i guess that's it we can uh go ahead and say goodbye yeah we'll be seeing you yeah um outro let's see uh game good guys Oh golly. No, we're not saying that. Oh, Bye. We're no. Nope. We're leaving. Nope. Shut up.